Well, we're in a series that we're calling Living in 4D. I hear now we have a little bit of a limited time, uh, but you know we have to be willing to go where God leads and whenever He decides to lead us, and so I'm okay with that if you are. Today, uh, we're going to talk about a subject that uh, is very near and dear to my heart. It's something that um, I, I think is very important to, to discuss, but before we do, I just want to share a quick quick story with you. Five years ago, my family and I, we uh, had a wonderful vacation. A lot of our vacations, my, my family and I, we, they tend to be somewhere along the lines of uh, Great Wolf Lodge or uh, Disney World. You know, they don't vary too much from that. But this one time, we went with uh, my uh, father-in-law, my mother-in-law to uh, North Captiva Island. Has anybody ever been to North Captiva Island? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah, you can only get there by boat, and they don't allow cars on the island, so you, everybody's riding around recklessly in these golf carts, right? And uh, so we had a great time over the course of that week. It was just fantastic. And you know, my life, it was great. It was great. You know, my wife and I have always had just a fantastic relationship, and, and so our marriage has been strong, and then my kids are beautiful. Look at those beautiful kids over there. They're just absolutely gorgeous and, and great. They love the Lord. They love mom and dad, and, um, and uh, we love them. All that stuff was just fantastic. I was a pastor, you know, as, as I've been in the last uh, 16, 17 years, and uh, the church that I was at, Grace Fellowship, as I mentioned, a great church, a lot of wonderful things that are happening there and were at the time. But we got back from this amazing vacation, and in the past, when I've, you know, returned from vacations, you know, you refreshed, you maybe a little tired because you're doing a lot of things and stuff, but you know, I, I was just, uh, I was perplexed in this instance five years ago because out of nowhere, inexplicably, I was in a darkness that I'd never experienced before. I was in this, this depth of darkness that just struck me like a lightning bolt, and I couldn't understand why. There was no situation, there was nothing that occurred that I could point to and say that was the reason, or that's the reason, or that's the reason. As I said, everything in my life seemingly was going quite well, but yet I was in a, in a darkness that I found perplexing and, uh, to be honest, quite scary. So through some prayer and conversations, open conversations with my wife, I decided to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor, and if you've been in this situation before, maybe some of this sounds familiar, but as I walked in, I sat down with my doctor, and, and uh, she began to ask me a, a series of, of questions. Question. I would like you to think about, over the past two weeks, whether you've had these symptoms or not. And when you answer, I'd like you to think about how often you've been bothered by these problems. The first question is, do you have little interest or pleasure in doing things? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't want to do anything right now. How about feeling down or sad, depressed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. How about sleep? I'm going to ask you about sleep. Any problems falling asleep, staying asleep, or sleeping too much? I usually love sleep, but I, I can't even fall asleep. It doesn't seem. 
your level of energy kind of fatigue, feeling really like, oh, I'm so tired, I don't have the energy. How much of that do you think you have? I don't want to do anything. I don't have any energy. How about just having like a not really good appetite or eating too much? Food is a bit of an issue. Which one would you say? Um, eating too much, quite a lot. How about feeling kind of bad about yourself? Feeling like you're a failure or you kind of let your family down? Yeah, I definitely feel that way. Um, this is kind of about your concentration, that sometimes it's harder to concentrate on things or read the newspaper, watch TV, that sort of thing. How much problems do you think you have with concentrating? I can't concentrate on anything. My mind's just going a thousand miles an hour. Do you have any thoughts that you want to end your life or you're better off dead or you want to hurt yourself? And in that moment, I admitted to something that I hadn't admitted yet to myself or to my wife, to anyone else. A wonderful marriage, great kids, beautiful house, great ministry. And I thought about ending my life. We're going to talk today about mental health. Now, this isn't a subject that you would often hear in churches, and that's, I would argue, a tragedy. But we're going to, uh, we're going to shine a light on it here this morning. We're going to take it out from the corner where it's getting moldy and decaying, and we're going to shine the light of Jesus on it. See, the subject is difficult because people who suffer from depression, they often don't know how to describe it or admit it. And those who don't understand, they don't know what to say or how to help. It's even worse in the church. Those who suffer from depression, there are really two different people in one person. There's the person that everyone sees, and then there's the person that they really are. And as such, those who suffer have become the modern-day leper. Because there's a, there's a common theme within church. You know, it's not spoken. It's an unspoken, quote-unquote, rule that if you're a Christian, that you're supposed to be happy all the time. And if you're not happy, then there must be something wrong with you. See, the church doesn't know what to do, so consequently the church, the church rarely talks about this important issue. And that's, that's a travesty because there are people here even now who suffer from this. There are people in this room that are suffering from it now but are afraid to talk about it. But if we don't as a church, if we don't as North Haven Church shine a light on this issue, we run the risk of those who are suffering to live their lives in isolation. Because for those who suffer, they're, they're convinced often that they're alone. I want to share with you some sobering statistics. 350 million people globally are affected by some 
uh, some form of depression. And those are fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, doctors, lawyers, pastors. $80 billion is the estimated annual cost in the U.S. due to loss of productivity and health care. $80 billion. 50% of Americans who suffer from depression, they seek absolutely no treatment. A 2016 statistic shows that 35% of pastors suffer from depression. And I don't have this specific statistic on me, but the suicide rate amongst pastors is skyrocketing. According to the World Health Organization, one million people every year commit suicide. Now that's 3,000 people a day and one suicide every 40 seconds. We have to shine a light on this. One of the first things that we can do is, is admit that there are people here that suffer. And one of the misconceptions out there is that those who suffer from depression, you know, they're just actually sad, right? But here's where that idea falls apart. When you suffer from depression, you're sad even when life is going well. So what's going on here? Depression and mental illness are the result of a broken and fallen world. We have to underline that first and foremost. Because sin has entered into the world, we are broken. We are not whole. We as individuals are broken and the world is broken. We see that in Romans 8, 22, uh, verses 22 through 23, where it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, us individuals, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. And this is the key point, the redemption of our bodies, the restoration of our bodies, the restoration of our minds, of our emotions, of our mentality, of our physicality. Man screwed up what God created perfectly. Sin entered into the world and everything became broken. This is called total depravity. So the world, our bodies, and our brains are broken and we're in this constant state of decay and that will be the case until God fully restores all things. So with that as the framework here, I, today I have two goals. The first goal is I want to illuminate to those who suffer from depression, I want to encourage you to have the courage to say three important words, I need help. And for those of you who don't understand depression, I want to help you understand how you and the church can walk alongside those who do. So how can the church come alongside those who suffer? Those who suffer, they want you to know six important things. And I might get some internal amens when I read these. Those who suffer want those who don't understand to know six important things. One, it's not that they're not trying hard enough. Two, they can't just snap out of it. Three, they feel like they're a burden to others. Four, 
They're not asking or wanting someone to fix them. Five. They want those around them to know it's not their fault. And six. That your presence is the most valuable thing that you could ever offer them. So we can't ask people to try not to be depressed. The reason we need to approach those who suffer in a way that walks with them is because we need to dispel the myth that if you suffer, that that must mean you're a bad person. Now this might be, for some of you, the most important thing that I say here this morning. Depression is not a sin. Depression is not a sin. You see, depression can lead to sin just like so many other things in our lives. When we are suffering from depression, that can sometimes instigate sin in our lives, but depression in and of itself is not sin. King David, he's one of the most documented biblical um, examples of one suffering from deep depression, and we see We see his struggles clearly in Psalm 42, starting with verse 3, where it says this, My tears have been my food day and night. Anybody relate to that? While people say to me all day long, where is your God? So what is, what is David saying here? He's saying, uh, he's commenting on others that there are others who point to his depression and say, if you only prayed more, if you only read your Bible more, if you only loved Jesus more. And then in Psalm 42, verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. I refer to this as the past-future dilemma. You look at the joy that you once had in the past that is completely absent in your life in the present, And you long for that joy in the future, but as you look down that road in the future, all you see is desolation. And so you feel like everything that was in the past is unobtainable as you head into the future. And then in verse 5, in the the first half of verse 5, he asks this question, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why do I feel this way? Why so disturbed within me? A person who suffers from depression struggles mightily with understanding why they feel the way that they do. And subsequently, my other goal is that if you suffer from depression, if I'm speaking to you here this morning, I want to give you the courage. I want to pray that you would have the courage to say those three words that are so necessary in your life. I need help. Last week we talked about vulnerability. How vulnerability is the necessary ingredient to experience the strength of God. We looked at this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9-10, through 10, where Paul says, But he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You want to hear a paradox? We only experience the perfection of God's strength in our lives when we are strong in our weakness. That's why we talked about last week about loving vulnerability. Loving your fragility. Because we're made as jars of clay that hold the treasure that is Jesus Christ so that, Paul says, the glory of God can be revealed his strength can made, be made perfect in our weakness. Depression is not only a spiritual battle, and it's not just a physical battle, it's both. But to exclude either our spirituality or our physiology is reckless. If we eliminate the physiology completely, we're saying that only spiritually unhealthy people suffer from depression. And that is not a precedent we can afford to set. Because that thinking perpetuates those who suffer to remain even more silent. But we also cannot eliminate the spiritual part of this because God is a God who heals. Psalm 147, verse 3, God heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. God can and does heal both spiritually and physically and sometimes He heals through medical care and medication. All truth is God's truth. But it's not just understanding that God can heal. It's also important to understand that spiritually healthy people can suffer. Spiritually healthy people can suffer. Suffering from depression doesn't have to mean that your faith is broken. There were and are amazing men and women of God who suffered and suffer from depression. Charles Spurgeon, arguably the greatest preacher in the modern age suffered deeply from depression. Martin Luther, the founder of the Reformation, suffered deeply from depression. Abraham Lincoln suffered so severely from depression that his friends had to hide razors for fear that he would commit suicide. Mother Teresa suffered, and in Scripture we see evidence of people like Job and David, Elijah, Jonah, Jeremiah, and the list goes on. So in the midst of this, as we consider that we as a church, we can understand, we can walk with those who suffer. And for those who suffer, we can, we can encourage you to, to freely say those three words, I need help, so that we can walk with you. But in all of this, what's the most important thing? That our hope is always in Jesus. 
We saw that most beautifully in that post by Katie, did we not? That even in the midst of complete tragedy and loss, still I will say, blessed be your name. And in all of those complexities and confusions and, 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 and sorrow that David was describing in Psalm 42, he finishes in, in verse 5 by saying, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior in God. Would someone take their smartphone and open up the calculator on their phone? Would someone please do that? And whoever has that, would you raise your hand? Yes. Would you, would you um, 32 minutes I spoke, would you multiply 32 times 60? What's that number? Would you then divide that by 40? 48 people committed suicide in the last 32 minutes. This is a serious issue. And we as a church, we cannot remain silent. The church above all needs to be a place where people can openly admit that they suffer, that they struggle. And we as a church, we need to invite those who do to share so that we can walk with them so that we can listen to them, so that we can be there for them, support them, pray for them, and remind them of the hope that is only in Jesus. If you today are in that place where you're suffering from depression, where it's become crippling, where it's a darkness that you've resided in, and that isolation is so prevalent, but you're trying so desperately to convince people otherwise, if that's you, I want you to know you're not alone. A lot of times that can mean the world. There's at least one person who understands, and that's me. And I would be more than happy to talk with you, to pray for you, to listen to you, to walk with you. That's a privilege I have. And if there are some of you here today who have loved ones, who have friends or family, who are in the midst of this, I want you to know that there is hope that life can be experienced, joy can be experienced, That sometimes all it really takes is a willingness to just be there and trust God. We have an opportunity to build a community where it's safe for those who suffer. And if you suffer, you need to stop believing that your suffering is a measurement of who you are because you're worthy, so worthy that God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, so that you could have life and be where Andrew is today in the presence of God. Let's pray. Father, Your goodness, Your mercy, and Your love and joy, Lord, it surpasses my understanding. 
Lord, you are without a doubt the King of kings, the creator of all things, but yet in the midst of that, you pursue us. Each and every single person in this, in this room, you know intimately. You know more than we could ever even know ourselves. I pray, Father, that you would encourage and shower your love and peace in the lives of those who have been so afraid to admit those three words, I need help. And I pray for those that are struggling to try to understand and walk with those who do suffer. Lord, give them the courage, give them the wisdom, and give them the ability to be able to walk freely with those people trusting you along the way. And together as a church, together as a church, we can shine light where once there is darkness. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.